0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Fruitfulness is the test of genuine faith. What's the difference between a phony Christian and a real Christian? A real Christian produces fruit. There's spiritual fruit in his life. Fruitfulness is the test of genuine faith.
1: Face. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The average American would probably say they believe in God, right? And maybe even call themselves a Christian. But in our country today, there's a staggering number of people who claim to be Christians but really aren't. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress presents a compelling message called, How to Spot a Phony. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. In a moment, I'm going to present another
0: message in our series called Jesus' Favorite Stories. Today, we'll examine a parable Jesus told that's designed to help us tell the difference between a phony Christian and a real one. But first, I'd like to send you a free resource that coincides with this teaching series, I've written a popular brochure for you that identifies 17 of the parables told by Jesus with an explanation of what he was teaching and how these principles apply to your life today. And when you go to ptv.org, you're invited to request a free copy of the brochure called The Parables of Jesus. In addition to this exclusive brochure, I've written a brand new book for children called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. As the grandfather of triplets, I care deeply about our children and the dangers of the world they are facing. My new book equips any parent or grandparent with a tool for teaching our children 10 Timeless Lessons from Jesus in an Entertaining Way. Plus, Pathway to Victory is the recipient of a generous matching challenge. This gives you the opportunity to leverage your gift so that every dollar you give between now and July 4th will be automatically doubled in size. So, when you give a generous gift today, your investment is doubled. And you'll also receive a copy of my brand new children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. I've saved a few more details to share just after my message. But right now, let's focus our attention on a story Jesus told, recorded in Matthew 13. I titled today's study, How to Spot a Phony. How is it that somebody who talks like a Christian, who appears to embrace some of the values of a Christian, how is it that they can be used by Satan to accomplish his purpose here on the earth? We're going to discover the answer to that question in the parable we're going to look at today. Jesus said the world is filled with phony Christians. People who talk like Christians, they profess to be believers, they come to church, they serve as Sunday school teachers, deacons, and even pastors. But even though they appear to be Christians, in the final judgment, they will be separated from true believers, and they will spend eternity in hell alongside the most vile and hardened criminals. Do you find that difficult to believe? If so, consider the parable of the wheat and the tares. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13 as we discover how to spot a phony Christian. Look at the parable in verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and he went away. But when the wheat sprang up and it bore grain, then the tares became evident also. How did the tares become evident? Because when they sprang up, as much as they appeared to be genuine wheat... They had no fruit. They had no grain. Verse 27, and the slaves of the landowner came and they said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares, this fake wheat? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slave said, do you want us then to go out and gather them up? Look at verse 29, but the master said, no, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. So in verse 30, the master said, instead, allow both to grow together until harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He wasn't saying don't ever try to separate the tares from the wheat. He said, wait until the right time when you can easily distinguish between the two. Then you can gather the tares and burn them and the wheat will be gathered into my barn. It's a story that reminds us you may be able to fool other people about your faith. You may even be able to fool yourself about your relationship with God. But you can't fool God. There is a time of judgment coming when genuine believers will be separated from phony believers. Look verse 40. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with the fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. For the Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. This is the judgment that will occur when Christ comes back to earth. Jesus is saying the eternal destiny of phony Christians is hell. Perhaps one of Jesus' most vivid descriptions of hell is found in a parable we'll look at in detail in the weeks ahead, Luke chapter 16. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, the rich man died and he went to hell, to Hades. Not because he was wealthy, but because he was self-sufficient. He could never bring himself to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. And remember what Jesus said when that man shut his eyes on earth for the last time and awakened in hell. The Bible says, and in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, for I am in agony in these flames. Jesus taught there was actual, conscious, eternal suffering in hell. And here he describes it in verse 42 as a place that will be characterized by weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. People who say, oh, I don't care about going to hell. That's where all my friends are going to be and we'll have a great time there. They don't know what they're talking about. Your friends may be in hell, but you won't know it. Because it's a place of indescribable loneliness of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. Perhaps the most terrifying thing about hell is it's a forever destination. The weeping, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth will not only be due to the physical suffering there but it will be the realization that there is no way out. The awful truth about hell is this. When you will have spent 10 billion trillion years in that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you have spent 10 billion trillion years there, you will not have lessened by one second the time you have left to spend there. That's the awful truth about hell. People say, I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe God would ever allow such a thing to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) if you don't believe that, then Jesus Christ is a liar. You have to come to that conclusion because Jesus talked more often about hell than he did about heaven. You can't say, well, I accept what he said about heaven. I just reject what he said about hell. No, he spoke more often about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because it's a reality. It's the place from which he came and died to deliver us. Jesus said, those who are... Phony Christians will be cast into this place of fire. But notice in verse 43, the destination of genuine believers. In contrast, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. What Jesus is showing is the great contrast in the eternal destiny of the unbeliever and the believer. The unbeliever will be forever in hell, that place of darkness. The believer will be with Christ forever in heaven. One reason we have a hard time believing that. One reason we have a hard time believing there really is a difference between the eternal destination of the saved and the unsaved is right now in this world... Believers and unbelievers exist side by side with one another. That's true in your workplace. Where you work right now, there are believers and there are unbelievers working at the same place of business. In your home, very possibly, there are unbelievers and believers who live under the same roof, who perhaps even sleep in the same bed. Some are genuine believers, some are fake believers. But even though we exist side by side, the wheat and the tares, believers and unbelievers, even though we exist side by side in this world, Jesus is saying there is a time of separation coming. There is a time when God will separate the real from the fake, real Christians from phony Christians, and that separation will last for all eternity. And what's the application of this parable for us? Let me suggest to you, first of all, three wrong or false applications that people mistakenly make from this parable. First of all, this parable is wrongly applied if it leads to an apathy for lost people. An apathy for lost people. There are some people who say, well, since you can't really tell who's a real Christian and not a real Christian, you shouldn't even try. Just leave it up to God. Let him worry about it. And pretty soon, you will find yourself not sharing your faith with anyone because you think, well, I can't tell who's really a believer and not a believer. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you look at Luke 15, as we will in the months ahead, Jesus told three parables about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son to show that God loves people who are lost. That's why he sent Christ, to rescue them. And if we really have the heart of God, we too will be looking for those who are lost, not to judge them, but to lead them to a place of salvation. Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't try to determine whether somebody is saved or lost. We ought to try to make that determination, not to judge them, but to rescue them. By the way, let me give you a foolproof question you can use to determine whether somebody is saved or lost. If there's somebody you're concerned about, you really want to know whether they're saved or lost, ask them this simple question. What are you depending on to get you to heaven when you die? Most people, even church people, will say, well, the fact that I try to keep the Ten Commandments, or I live by the golden rule, or my grandfather was a founder of the church, or I was baptized when I was an infant, they'll come up with all kinds of things all of which are the wrong answer. There's only one right answer to that question. What am I depending on to get me to heaven when I die? The fact that I've trusted in Jesus to be my savior. That I believe that he died in my place, that he took the punishment that I deserve. A second wrong application of this passage is somehow an allowance for unbelievers in the church. Some will say, well, since we can't tell who's really a believer and not a believer, we ought to just let anybody join the church. We'll let God sort it out in the end times. Let me be very clear here. Anyone and everyone is welcome to come and worship with us at First Baptist Dallas. Doesn't matter what your faith is. You can be a Hindu, a Muslim. You can be an atheist. We don't care about that. You're welcome to come here and search for God and hopefully come to know the truth. Everybody's welcome here. But to be a member here, you must be a follower of Jesus Christ. You must be born again. Ephesians 5 says that the church is to be pure. That is, it's to be filled with genuine believers. Thirdly, some people falsely interpret this passage to allow for an acceptance of sin in the church. That is, they'll say again, well, we shouldn't be judgmental. We don't know who's real and who's phony. Therefore, it's not our job to try to convict people of sin or to judge people. Let everybody live as they please and let God deal with them. You know, Paul addresses that topic in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul said to the Corinthians, there's somebody in your church who is having sex with his stepmother. And you've refused to deal with that problem. It is an immorality that is so grotesque that even unbelievers in Corinth aren't doing that. And yet you boast in arrogance that you're allowing it to go on. I'm sure the Corinthians said, we're a church of grace. We don't judge anybody. That's a false gospel. You know, the most unloving thing you can do towards somebody you see living in sin, the most unloving thing you can do is to allow them to continue going the way they're going. Because they are going down a path of destruction. The most loving thing you can do for a brother or sister in Christ who is living apart from God is to gently but firmly correct them. To try to point them in the right direction. Galatians 6.1 says, If you see a brother or sister who has been overtaken by sin... Let those who are spiritual restore such a one. Now, this parable is not uh, an apathy for the lost. It shouldn't promote an acceptance for sin in the church or an allowance for unbelievers in the church. What is the application of this parable? Let me mention four timeless principles that come from this parable. First of all, and most obviously, unbelievers often resemble believers. That's what Jesus was saying. Unbelievers often resemble believers. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4 says that Satan often appears as an angel of light. When Satan seeks to deceive people, it's not with a bald face, out and out, blatant heresy. Many times, it's with a little bit of truth mixed with a lot of error. It's true in the church. Unbelievers often resemble believers. Secondly, The ultimate judgment of unbelievers belongs to God. The ultimate judgment of unbelievers belongs to God. Jesus wasn't saying we shouldn't try to recognize unbelievers so that we can help them. He was simply saying, don't pronounce a final judgment on them that only God is capable of performing. Leave that ultimate judgment to God. I'm sure when the disciples heard the first part of this parable... They got ahead of Jesus and made the wrong application. Tears? Tears in our midst? Let's launch a political crusade right now or a military crusade and let's uproot all the unbelievers from the earth. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Leave that to God. You look through history and you'll find all kind of crusades have failed miserably. Look at the Inquisition. Many genuine believers were martyred Because they refuse to accept the authority of the church above the authority of the word of God. The ultimate judgment of unbelievers belongs to God. Third and star this, fruitfulness is the test of genuine faith. Fruitfulness is the test of genuine faith. What's the difference between a phony Christian and a real Christian? A real Christian produces fruit there's spiritual fruit in his life what do i mean by spiritual fruit i mean a genuine christian can point to people he's led to faith in christ just like christ's commandment there's a real love in his heart for the word of god reading the word of god is a pleasure not a chore he looks forward to coming to church on sundays he 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 anticipates being with god's people His life is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, mentioned in Galatians 5. See, fruitfulness is the test of genuine faith. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. And finally, and most importantly, every Christian should carefully examine his own life. Every Christian should carefully examine his own life. The fact is, I can't tell you whether you're saved or not. I can't make that judgment. I can only judge myself. And in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Paul says, test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Doctors are telling us all the time we need to be examining ourselves physically, checking for this growth or a possible tumor here. Well, Paul says we need to spiritually examine ourselves to see if we're a genuine Christian. How do you do that? Let me just suggest to you four questions you ought to use in a spiritual self-examination. First of all, is there a time you can point to in your life when you confessed your sins to God and trusted in Jesus to be your Savior? Is there a time you can point to with absolute certainty when you confessed your sins and you trusted in Christ to be your Savior? Question number two. Since that time, has there been any real spiritual fruit in your life? Visible fruits you can point to? Have you ever led anybody to faith in Christ? Do you really enjoy reading the Bible? Or do you find it to be a chore? Do you love being here with God's people? Or do you try to find every excuse not to be here? Do you readily invest your funds in God's work or is it hard to pry a nickel from your clenched fist? What about your prayer time? Is there a time that that you spend with God regularly? Do you look forward to that? Here's another way to ask that question. (laughs) Outside of what you do from 8 to 11 on Sunday mornings, is there any discernible difference between your life and the life of the most moral non-Christian you know? Is there fruit? Number three, what is it that consumes your thoughts? When you find yourself alone, driving by yourself, a few moments of free time, what do you find yourself thinking about? Are your thoughts centered around this world or the next one? Question number four, Is your life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? If you don't know what that fruit is, you might want to read Galatians 5. The fruit, the outgrowth of a life that is truly saved are things like love for other people, joy, self-control, freedom from bitterness. Again, the Word of God says, where there is no fruit... There is no genuine spiritual life. Ask yourself these questions. Don't cheat on the answers. Be honest because your eternal destiny is at stake. To me, the most terrifying words in all of the New Testament are words that came from the lips of Jesus himself when he said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me those who practice lawlessness the test of genuine faith the test of your faith is fruitfulness we often celebrate the love and compassion of jesus but fail to recognize his intolerance for phonies this is a frightening warning to those who follow their own passions and ignore what it means to truly walk in the light now In order to let the seed of God's Word sink deeply into fertile soil, it's absolutely essential to spend time daily in the Bible. It's not enough to be listening to Pathway to Victory alone. As your radio pastor and friend, let me encourage you to allow God's Spirit to speak to you through your daily quiet times with Him. As I mentioned earlier, I've written a children's book so that you can sow the seeds of truth into the lives of your children or grandchildren as well. My new book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, and a fully illustrated copy is yours when you give a generous gift toward the matching challenge that was activated just this week. There's never been a better time to invest in Pathway to Victory, because every dollar you give before the deadline of July 4th will be automatically doubled in size and impact. Through your support, Pathway to Victory is postured to expand as never before. In today's dark and chaotic culture, we're proclaiming the truth, and that truth is transforming lives. For instance, Brent jotted a note to me recently and said, Pastor, this program has helped to change my life. A new birth has taken place in my heart. That is fantastic, Brent. And now, friends, would you respond with a generous gift toward the matching challenge? Together, let's continue to make an impact on our children and our culture while there's still time.
1: David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to support this ministry, we'll send you a copy of the brand-new children's book by Dr. Jeffress called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965, or you can visit our website, ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also include the complete, unedited CD and DVD sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. And because of our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, any gift you give will be doubled in impact, meaning there's really never been a better time to give to Pathway to Victory. Call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. A lot of our listeners prefer to write. If that sounds like you, here's the mailing address P.O. Box 223609, 609, Dallas, Texas 75222. That's P.O. Box 223609, 609, Dallas, Texas 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. God has blessed each of us with unique gifts, talents, and opportunities. And one day, every Christian will have to account for how they use their blessings. Hear a message called Talent Search. That's Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.